Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Today's show also brought to you by The Vault at Stock and Barrel in Egan, a collection of specialty and pre-owned firearms for collectors and enthusiasts. Learn more at StockandBarrel.com. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, October 29th, 2023. Welcome, everybody. Rob Jerisline from Outdoor News with you for the next one hour. Uh, hey, it got, it got real out there, didn't, didn't it? Uh, they got some pretty serious temperatures. Uh, below normal <laughs> for a change after a summer where it was constantly above normal. Uh, that means I think that bodes well for next Saturday's November 4th firearms deer hunting opener. I think the deer are going to be moving. Uh, looking ahead, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a little more temperate next weekend than it was this weekend. Probably still maybe a hair below normal. Uh, but, uh, you know, kind of in that sweet spot where you want temperatures and the, you know, daytime highs in the 40s, uh, you know, you can cool the deer down quickly after if you're, if you're successful. Uh, cooler temperatures, I think the deer will be moving. I think that bodes well. For hunters, uh, not too hot, not too cold. I don't think uh, Minnesota hunters are going to be able to blame the uh, the weather next weekend if they don't have success. But uh, but we'll see. Hunters always like to find some reason, right, to, to complain. And, heck, uh, it sounds like everybody's going to be a little less vested in the Vikings uh, next week. Yeah, that's another excuse we always hear is that uh, uh, folks like to leave the woods to go watch the Vikings or the Packers. Uh, unfortunate uh, situation with the quarterback uh, today. I hope he. I hope that the diagnosis is not as severe as what uh, what we've been hearing uh, the past couple hours. Uh, we uh, today we are going to talk with uh, Tom Carpenter. Tom is the editor of Pheasants Forever Journal, the magazine, the official magazine of Pheasants Forever. Uh, we've got uh, what are we plus two weeks, I believe, on the Minnesota Pheasant Opener, plus one week on South Dakota, and I think Iowa and Nebraska open this weekend. And Tom, I think, has been chasing openers, and he's going to give us a report on what he's seen, if there's as many birds out there as uh, as we've been hearing. Uh, so we'll check with Tom here in a few minutes. At 5.30, Barb Keller, she's the big game program leader for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. She's going to join us for a nice long segment, and we are going to talk to her about uh, her forecast, the agency's forecast, for next weekend's firearms deer opener. I will not be in the woods next Saturday for the deer opener, unfortunately, uh, because my son, uh, fortunately, I'm I'm excited, I'm proud of him, my youngest son is going to be running in the state cross-country meet. Uh, That's uh, not going to be at St. Olaf this year. It has been down there for like 30 years. It's going to be at the Les Bolstad Golf Course over by the state fairgrounds at the University of Minnesota St. Paul campus. So I'm going to be there to cheer my son on. Uh, I don't know who scheduled state meets the same day as deer opener. I'd like to talk to that person. But you know what? It's probably okay because I. the one thing is I hunt down in southeast Minnesota where for some reason we still have two openers down there. We've got the regular firearms opener on November 4th, and then two weeks later we've got the 3B opener November 18th. So I will probably get down there for that one. Historically, what 3A was a buck hunt. You could only take bucks during that uh, during that 3A season, the regular opener, just in, in the southeast, the 300 series deer, deer permit areas. And I always thought that was ridiculous, and it was something I advocated for for years. Is you know you, you, you're trying to kill a lot of deer down there. That's some people call it the banana belt. We've got a lot of deer in that part of the state. We're constantly trying to 
manage them more aggressively. And finally, I guess it's probably going on close to 20 years uh, that we, uh, you know, young folks out there don't even realize that, that that used to be just a buck hunt during uh, during that 3A season. Now you can take you can take uh, bucks and does during either season, but we still have two different openers. And I'm not sure I can exactly explain the philosophy of why we have two zones down there, or two different hunts in the southeast. I think part of it is it's there's not a lot of public land down there like there is in you know a good chunk of the northern portion of the state where we have a longer season uh, and and so I think the idea is maybe a lot of landowners private landowners they hunt one season and then they allow someone else to hunt the other season and so that puts more pressure down on the herd in that part of the state where we really do need a lot of hunting pressure uh, so we'll see I mean I want to talk to Barb a little bit about the forecast for the deer season, uh, supposedly the, the DNR and the, and the state, uh, everybody agrees you know, that 200,000 deer kill is a nice round number uh, to be uh, taking out of the deer herd every year. Uh, but you know what? It's been more than a decade since we last did that. And uh, I, I think the DNR needs to answer some you know, hard questions. What, what do we need to do to try to increase the deer herd and, and, and get back to those kind of numbers? Before we break... I wanted to point out that I don't know how many people know, but Minnesota has a state forest nursery. Uh, And if you are a private landowner and you want to plant some trees on your property for wildlife, uh, plant some oak trees, maple trees, if you want to become a maple syrup guy or hickory, whatever it might be, the state forest nursery up in Akeley, that's in Hubbard County, southwest of Leech Lake, since 1931, they have distributed more than a billion little trees, little saplings, bare root trees, to Minnesotans to plant around the state. Well, one thing they insist on is you plant them in Minnesota. They don't want any Wisconsinites or Dakota people planting their trees over there. Uh, and this is something we've done on my dad's property over the past 25 years. We've literally planted thousands of trees, which is a little less daunting than it sounds, right? It's, they're not great big trees where you got to dig a big hole. You just use what's called a dibble bar. You put a little slice, a hole in the ground. You drop it in. You press it in. You dump some water on. And they don't, you know, they don't all grow. But, you know, if you plant 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 over a weekend, hey, even if you get 50%, that's a lot of, a lot of big trees in 20 years. Uh, so I, I'd encourage folks, uh, you know, go to mndnr.gov. It's the top press release, Minnesota DNR State Forest Nursery accepting seedling orders now. It's a really cool thing. Yeah, you can buy, you have to buy a minimum of 500, or you know, but you can buy thousands of them if you've got a big chunk of property you want to plant a bunch of trees and convert it into a little wildlife sanctuary uh, for yourself. I think that's a pretty cool asset that we have in Minnesota, and I'd encourage citizens, especially folks who love wildlife, to take advantage of it. My little pitch there for the DNR's State Forest Nursery. Let's break. We're going to talk pheasants when we return. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline, editor, publisher of Outdoor News, happy to be with you for another segment. We're here until 6 o'clock, then stay tuned for 60 Minutes, and Gerilyn Steele will be with us. At 7 p.m., Steel Talking. So regular lineup here tonight. Lots of great content coming at you. Uh, hey, the Minnesota pheasant hunting season kicked off a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, a gen- and a gentleman who's been out chasing pheasants, I think, across the region, joins us now to kind of give us a report. His name is Tom Carpenter. 
He's the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal magazine right here in White Bear Lake, uh, north of St. Paul. He has not joined me on the broadcast before, and I appreciate him carving out some time now. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Rob. How are you? Very well. Thanks a lot for uh, for giving us a call and, and checking in. Uh, now, we had, what, Iowa and Nebraska both opened this weekend. Did you get down there, or were you hunting closer to home? No, I was uh, giving my Dougie and myself a rest. We were pretty busy in Minnesota the first couple weeks. I'm actually in Watertown, South Dakota right now, going to do some hunting this week in South Dakota. So this this is my first out-of-state foray for the season. So South Dakota opened uh, last weekend. I guess we're nine days into it. Uh, and uh, so this is probably a really good time to get out there. I got to think some of the uh, the initial pulse is mellowing out a little bit. And uh, so you're going to be doing some midweek hunting when uh, you should have some of those public land parcels and other places. Uh, maybe not to yourself, but there shouldn't be quite as, the crowds shouldn't be quite as big, huh? Yeah, that that's sort of the design. Um, it, it, I tell you what, it feels, it's like December out here. I, I literally hit the border at about an hour ago today. And went from sunshine and just beautiful Minnesota weather to clouds and snow still going sideways, and uh, it, it's like December. And uh, <laughs> you can you can look at that and go, oh boy, or you can look at that and go, oh boy. There you go. So I'm I'm going for the latter. So yeah, that that's that's the that's the story. I'm going to give South Dakota a try starting tomorrow. Now, Tom, how long have you been editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal magazine? Is it going on three, four years, something like that? No, Rob, believe it or not, I think I'm I'm six and towards seven. Oh, my goodness. I, I apologize for not having yeah. that dialed no. in, but uh, wow. No, it, that's fine. No, it's uh, it's been a good run at Pheasants Forever. Uh, you know, it's a great organization. And, you know, folks who are listening, hopefully you know what Pheasants Forever does for habitat and wildlife and public access. And uh, I'm actually going to take advantage of those properties here in eastern South Dakota uh, over the next few days, you know, places that were acquired by Fez Forever, improved, and then handed over to, you know, uh, most of them U.S. and Fish and Wildlife and some uh, game fish and parks, and uh, they're now public forever. I see you uh, engaged in some of the social media. Pheasants Forever's got a real vigorous, aggressive social media presence. Uh, I saw you post something here on Twitter just a few days ago or maybe even the past couple of days, a, a pheasant minute where you're offering a little tip. How often are you doing that, Tom? We're going to do those once a week. We're starting, and the hope is we might even do them all year. There's a lot of stuff going on year-round. Um, I've done the first couple. Uh, I did the first one, and it, uh, my our social media guru, who Nate Akey, he's a great guy. He's uh, He's actually you know, the one who does the editing post, I have it easy. I just, I just do little videos in the field, but they're little one minute pheasant hunting tips. And um, I've actually got a whole bunch lined up in the queue and I'm going to get some more, uh, some more going as the season goes on. And they're pretty fun. They're meeting with pretty good response so far. You know, I'm i I'm a pretty simple pheasant hunter uh, and I like to tell people how to do it, and that that's what it's all about. It's about little tips, techniques, approaches, strategies for better hunting in the field. You listen to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I'm Rob Jerislein. Tom Carpenter, who is the editor of Pheasants Forever Journal, is checking in with us. He's out in Watertown, South Dakota. 
uh, the heart of some of the best pheasant hunting really in uh, in North America. He's out there with your dog, uh, your canine named Lark. Is Lark a Brittany? What what breed do you run in out there, uh, Tom? Lark is an Lark is an Epignol Breton, which is fancy for French Brittany. Okay, and they're they're little, they're smaller than our American Brittanies. They're actually it's sort of they're the original stock that you know we Americanized and turned into the group American, which I've had three myself. Um, and this is the old world dog, and uh, they're fantastic little dogs. Everybody loves their dogs and their breed, and, and I love this this little breed, and in particular, I love her. <laughs> She's a good little doggy. A lot of uh, you Pheasant Forever guys are running GSPs, German Short Hair Pointers, uh, but uh, uh, why, what, why did you decide to go with the uh, the smaller, the, the, the Brittany? Um, I, I have some... Uh, friendship way back with a uh, pretty famous Brittany guy. His name is Benno Williams. He's out of Montana. He he's bred some of the original big running Brittany for the West, specifically for Hungarian partridge. And uh, I had my first Brittany out of his stock, and um, I fell in love with him. I, I had Springer before that and Basset Hounds growing up, believe it or not, which is a whole other story. But these little French Brittanies are... She's 29 and a half pounds. They're, they're, they're your classic, you know, like so many breeds. They're, they can be couch potatoes and family dog lovers and little fiends in the field. And um, that, that's why I love them. Uh, she's with me. She goes wherever I go, almost almost to, uh, to the second year round, whether it's fishing or hunting or habitat work in the springtime. Um, so I, they're great little close working dogs. I'm a big believer, especially for pheasants in close working. Um, I like to see my dog work. I like to be with my dog and it just works sort of for my, my hunting style. And, uh, that's why I love them. Tom, you were kind of breaking up on us a little bit there. You're doing better now. So wherever you're sitting, wherever you're standing, kind of stay there if you don't mind. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, we're, we're getting you a little bit better now. So you said this is your first trip out of state. You've been hunting mostly Minnesota. Uh, I know you've been out. I'm curious, so what's your, your uh, summation of how Minnesota pheasant hunting has gone the first couple of weeks? You know, last winter, everybody, myself included, you know, was getting pretty worried. It was such a tough winter, uh, all in the in all of the northern pheasant range. Um, but you know, pheasants are tough, and a big surprise when they have habitat, you can get pheasants through the winter. And then we had an ideal spring. You couldn't have asked for a better spring, warm and dry, and the hatch was great. And I see a lot of evidence of multiple hatches. I think the hatch was good. I think there was a later hatch, whether or birds just getting their first chance. Um, but I, Minnesota has been great hunting. I've hunted seven days in Minnesota thus far, and it's been great. I've been out in Big Stone and Lacoparo counties, and I've been down in Nobles County and Brown County down, you know, towards Worthington, and it's been good really good in both places. Uh, that hatch, you know, the, the hatch makes all the difference. Most of the birds we shoot is upland hunters, where it's, whether it's rough grouse or sharp-tailed grouse or ringneck pheasants are, are young-of-the-year birds. And uh, it's been real, real good so far. 
Um, and I think it's only going to get better. The corn, as I drove today, there's double the corn in that was in at, at the opening of pheasant season. And that makes a big difference. Uh, so I think the, the, it, it's too bad that hunters drop off as the season goes on. Cause I think the hunting gets better and better and better. And I think that's going to be the case this year. Also have been seeing in Minnesota, a lot of young birds. I've shot a number of young roosters, you know, fully colored, but you get them and you're like, oh, they're, they're sort of half pints. And that's good. They're tasty. They're, they're roosters. They, they're full color. But, uh, and also I've been seeing a lot of young ones that you're out, you, you sort of pull up on them and you go, mm, I don't know. I'm not going to shoot. I'm not quite sure. Those birds are going to color up in the November here and, and be on the landscape for those hunters who are willing to go back out and chase them. Yeah, no, great advice. That certainly syncs up with your theory that we had a late hatch, too, if we're seeing some of those younger, smaller roosters that uh, still got a little growing up to do the next uh, next few weeks. Tom, best yep. of luck to you out in South Dakota. Uh, I've, I'm hearing some mixed reports out there, but I'm sure you and your experienced pup are going to have a really good time uh, and knock down a lot of birds. We'll, we'll get you on again maybe after the season or maybe before Pheasant Fest out in Sioux Falls and get a, get a, a forecast for that big event, too. Yep, March 1st to 3rd, put it on your calendar, Sioux Falls. It's going to be a big party. I will be there. Uh, hey, Tom, thanks a lot for calling in, and uh, best of luck. Have a great week of hunting. Bye, Rob. Take care. Tom Carpenter, he's the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal right here in the Twin Cities. But he is uh, getting out to South Dakota, as we speak, sound like he just crossed the border. Uh, he was in Watertown and anticipating a big week, although a little colder uh, snow, all sorts of uh, serious conditions out there coming our way, I guess. Uh, WCCO has learned that uh, the Dakotas are to the west of Minnesota, and that's where our weather comes from. So it could be interesting. Let's break. We're going to talk deer when we return. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Dreesline returning with you for another segment. Thank you for tuning in to the broadcast on this Sunday, October 29th, 2023. In just a moment, Barb Keller from the Minnesota DNR is going to join us. Give us a forecast for next weekend's firearms deer opener. You know what else is already underway? Some of the ice fishing shows. Yes, folks are already thinking about hard water. The North Metro Ice Show was up in Ramsey this weekend. Doors closed a few hours ago, so that show is wrapped up. But we got at least a couple more coming before the heart of the ice fishing season gets going. So as the seasons turn, so do the recreational opportunities across Minnesota. Well, as promised, dear listeners, we are going to talk deer here for a segment with uh, someone very qualified to do that on behalf of the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. It's the Big Game Program Leader, Barb Keller. Barb, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, joining us for a few minutes. Thanks for having me. We've got a big deer opener you're probably aware of. Uh, what Next Saturday, uh, November 4th, I-, I was talking to Tim Spielman a little bit with some of the uh, you know, with the bow season being as big as it is, and and now crossbows being a part of that season, as well as you know, we've got an early antlerless season in a lot of deer permit areas, as as well as the youth hunt. It feels a little bit like the regular firearms opener isn't quite as big a deal as it used to be, but uh, it's certainly all hands on deck for the the Minnesota DNR for the wildlife staff there, isn't it? 
It is. And although we do have additional opportunities earlier in the season, this is still where the majority of our deer harvest takes place is over firearm season. And in particular, opening weekend plays a large role in how our total deer harvest ends up for the year. So even though we've been having, again, some harvest opportunities and there are some early opportunities for people to get out there, most of our hunters are hunting firearm season. Um, That remains the case. I remember hearing that figure in the past. What is it, Barb? What percentage of total Minnesota deer kill on an annual basis occurs on that opening weekend? Is it 25, 30%? It's a big number. Yeah, it's somewhere in that 30 to 40% range. Wow, 30 to 40% uh, will, will occur next November 4th and 5th. Yes, that, that usually uh, is the case unless we have a particularly poor weather opening weekend. But yeah, usually that's the that's the main two days of our firearm season. Really important in managing deer is that, uh, that opening weekend of firearms hunt. Any new regulation changes that uh, hunters need to be aware of in case they haven't checked the regs or read their outdoor news? I'm sure we've reported it. But uh, anything you'd like to highlight in terms of new regulations for the 2023 season? Yes, for our firearms deer hunters, uh, in particular, if they're public land deer hunters, they need to be aware of a legislative change that came through this past uh, session that requires uh, those that are using synthetic ground lines to have a a blaze orange uh, covering on the top of that ground line. It doesn't have to be the entirety of the ground line. It it needs to be a 12 by 12 inch um, patch on on the top of the ground line. So they need to be aware of that and go out and get, usually you can get some of those toppers from an outdoor store to apply to an already existing ground blind. So hunters need to be aware of that. Our CWD regulations are always something hunters need to to check out because those do change year to year. Generally, uh, there may be new areas added. Some areas are taken out. So we do have some new areas. Um, We've stopped doing surveillance in other areas. So hunters need to, to be sure to pick up the regs book or just go online. We have a great DPA lookup tool that hunters can just put in the DPAs they're intending to hunt and see all of the, the different regulations that apply to those specific areas. I was looking at the Make a Plan for Deer Hunting page on the DNR website, and it does look pretty user-friendly. Uh, I'd, I'd encourage folks to check that out. Uh, where is CWD sampling mandatory in the state, Barb? It's, it's not something hunters have to do everywhere, but there's probably a growing number of DPAs, aren't there, deer permit areas? Yeah, we have added some DPAs this year. We've also, again, taken some out. We have some new areas in the northwest part of our state where we're doing CWD surveillance. Uh, We've added a couple areas around the Bemidji area due to the detection of some positive deer this past year. Uh, And then in the southeast, uh, we've uh, expanded some of our surveillance there as well. Uh, so really, it's important just to go online and see if your DPA is included. And this is, the, it's mandatory only for opening weekend. So only for deer that are harvested those two days and that are one year or older. So if you harvest a fawn, it's not required that you bring that in for sampling. That's what we know about the disease is they're very unlikely to be CWD positive. So we don't require sampling of fawns. But again, um, pick up the regs book, uh, check out our website and see if that regulation applies to you this fall. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Jerisline is with you here. Thanks for joining the broadcast. We've got Barb Keller, the Minnesota DNR's big game program leader, with us here for a segment. We're talking about next weekend's big firearms deer hunting opener. It uh, kicks off on Saturday, November 4th. 
Barb, I was looking at some of the most recent stats, you know, on, on how harvest has gone the past decade or so. Does the DNR have a target goal for deer harvest? It seemed like at one time, everybody seemed to agree 200,000 might be a fair number. In our whitetail deer management plan, there is a harvest goal of 200,000 uh, total statewide harvest. But I also, I think it's important that uh, we keep in mind that we also have population goals at the deer permit area scale. And so it's not in every year appropriate for us to really be working towards that 200,000 goal. You know, we could liberalize bag limits in order to try to get to that goal. But if that's not in meeting with what our goals are for a particular permit area, we wouldn't want to be increasing uh, the number of, of tags that we had for a permit area if we were trying to increase the deer population there. So uh, if in some areas of the state where we're trying to increase deer populations, uh, we've reduced the number of of antlerless deer that people can harvest. So we wouldn't expect that harvest would increase in those areas. So I, I don't think that this year we're going to meet that 200,000 mark. I think that our, our deer populations in northern Minnesota uh, need to recover a little bit before we can get to that mark. And that's what we've been working towards with uh, reducing some of the bag limits in northern Minnesota over the past few years. Well, if that's the case and we don't hit 200,000, Barb, that'll be the 14th year in a row that we haven't, I believe. I, I was looking at the stats. I think you have to go back to, is it 2010? Uh, the last year we had over 200,000, 207,000. What's going on? Why can't we get to that number? Are deer numbers lower than, than we would like? I mean, like I say, it's if, if we're potentially going on 14 years that we haven't gotten to that 200,000 number. And, and some of us, Remember when it was, what, 250 or even high 200s? What was that in the early part of this century? Uh, we had some amazing deer kills. Is it habitat? You know, is the DNR being pretty successful in, in uh, keeping deer populations from, from getting too out of control? Well, I think in northern Minnesota, uh, winter severity has played a, a large role in deer populations being below where we would like them to be. Um, we've had a number of consecutive severe winters with some pretty high snow depths. And that's pretty hard for, for deer to recover from. So I think that's that's one thing that, that is playing a role in northern Minnesota's deer population. Certainly habitat, predation is probably also playing a role in, in deer numbers there. On the other hand, we've had growing deer populations in other parts of the state where deer hunters generally, even though they're offered the opportunity to take multiple deer, generally most of our deer hunters are just taking one deer. So there are areas of the state where we could be increasing harvest and we have been uh, increasing the number of antlerless deer that a hunter could harvest. We've been adding additional seasons like the early antlerless season. We generally don't see hunters taking full advantage of those opportunities. So there is an, an area where we could be um, harvesting more deer uh, and uh, we would like to to try to work towards that in central and southern Minnesota. Yeah, certainly I hunt in part of the state. Uh, old Nick Golden, the old wildlife manager down there, used to call it the banana belt, southeast Minnesota, where you, you rarely see deer starving down there. And there's always ample opportunity to take multiple deer. To your point, yeah, it doesn't seem like very many people do that. It, it feels to me overall, most regulations in this state for deer hunting are pretty liberal. If you want to take a bunch of venison, you've got the opportunity to do it, especially if you're willing to travel a little bit. Does the DNR measure hunter effort, Barb? And, and you know, is that a function? Does it just seem like hunters are not putting in as much time uh, to kill deer as they used to? Is there uh, any metrics that uh, that you've examined in that regard? Uh, we occasionally ask hunters on our surveys how many days they spend a field. That ha has likely increased. I haven't looked at past years. Uh, I'm sorry, that's likely decreased. <laughs> I haven't looked at past years, but it 
yeah, in general, it's likely that that hunters aren't spending as much time in the field as they once did with the other num- number of um, uh, competing activities uh, during the fall. So that that probably does t- play a role in hunters not taking as many deer as they're being offered. And you know, finally, does deer habitat get the respect that it deserves? Uh, you know, we talk a lot about upland bird habitat and and waterfowl habitat. It seems like everybody kind of takes deer habitat for granted. They've just been this successful species that have adapted well to people. They're a species of the edge, right? And and where you got humans, you got a lot of edge, so you got a lot of deer. And yet, it feels like there's parts of the state where maybe deer habitat has suffered. Is that an area that perhaps we should be focusing on more to try to get get back to this two hundred thousand number? Certainly, in the northern parts of our state. Uh, Deer habitat, especially during severe winters, can be very important uh, to help deer make it through those winters. So I do think that is an area that um, is a an area of concern for the DNR management, um, and it is a, a priority of ours to make sure that we are retaining and creating winter deer habitat in northern Minnesota. What about CRP in the southern and southwest part of the state? I, I firmly believe that the loss of CRP probably did not help deer numbers in that in that region of our state. Yeah, it can be especially important in, in the southwest part of the state with these large blocks of agricultural land. Those little strips of habitat can be very important uh, for deer cover. Uh, so I do think that is an, an important um, aspect of deer management in southern Minnesota. You're not willing to make a 200,000 prediction. You think it's probably going to come in a little bit lower than that. And that's, of course, we're talking total deer harvest, right? Uh, that's across all seasons. Correct. Yeah, I am expecting similar, um, potentially slightly less than last year. It really, in northern Minnesota, I'm expecting less deer to be harvested. Uh, so mm-hmm. um, expecting that. So it really depends what happens in central and southern Minnesota. Uh, whether the hunters can make up for that decrease in northern Minnesota. And to some extent, that depends on the on the weather opening weekend. Last year, we were heading into the firearm season, and I was pretty optimistic about our harvest. We ended up with, in the southern area of the state, some pretty poor opening weekend weather. So if we end up this year with a great opening weekend weather, uh, we might end up even a little bit ahead of last year. But that won't be because of northern Minnesota harvest. It will be because of central and, and southern Minnesota harvest. And last point, I appreciate DNR shooting out a press release reminding folks that there are a few elk stumbling around our state. Don't shoot them. Don't mistake elk for deer. That's right. And we actually have some moose also wandering around southern Mm, Minnesota. So be sure of what you're aiming at and that it is, in fact, a deer. Good advice. Well, Barb, thanks a lot for joining us. Great information. And I'm sure you'll be working hard next weekend. Thanks for all you do to manage deer in Minnesota. Thank you. All right. That was Barb Keller, big game program leader for the Minnesota DNR, giving us a little bit of a forecast for next weekend's firearms deer opener here in Minnesota. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Final segment of this week's broadcast. I am Rob Jerislein from Outdoor News, OutdoorNews.com. And uh, at the top of the hour, stay tuned. 60 minutes will be up. And then at 7 p.m., live and local with Geraldine Steele and Steele Talking. So please stay tuned to what we've got cooking here on WCCO Radio this evening. A couple of closing thoughts for our final segment of this week's broadcast. One last weekend I mentioned if you want to know a good time of year to to identify buckthorn, this is it because it stays green a lot longer than a lot of our native plants. And my dad heard that, and he sent me a couple pictures of some buckthorn on his property that – identified it perfectly. I posted it on my Twitter feed. Uh, my handle is at Outdoorscribe. If you would like to see those photos and see exactly 
what I'm talking about. Hey, a quick little recipe. I, I've I've bothered people. I've gone on ad nauseum about my wild rice harvest that I do uh, late summer, early fall. And I eat a lot, a lot of wild rice with my family uh, during the year. And I, I wrote a story, a pretty long story for Outdoor News. We had, I think, five different wild rice recipes in there. And a gal named Mary Simon emailed me, and she said, Rob, great way to cook wild rice. And I'm going to probably print this as a letter to the editor in the next couple of weeks, but I'm going to share it with listeners here now. Uh, you know, most of the time when folks make wild rice, including myself, you boil it up in a pot, right? You like, I don't know, two or three cups of water to one cup of wild rice, throw in some salt, bring it to a boil, simmer it until it's tender, you know, you know the shtick. This gal said, you know what you do is you take your two cups of wild rice, you put it in like a 9 by 13 baking pan, you know, like a cake pan. You pour four cups of boiling water on there. You preheat the oven to 500 degrees, cover it. I just used, I, I tried this last night. Cover it with uh, aluminum foil. You put it in the oven, and as soon as you close the door, you turn the oven off. So you want to bring it to 500 degrees and then turn it off. And then you leave it overnight. You know, a little pinch of salt in there too, by the way. You leave it overnight. So I did that. Uh, I told my my sons, my one college boy was home last night. I said, don't open the stove. Just leave it. Don't mess with anything. And so this morning I get up. I take it out. I pop off the uh, the aluminum foil. And, of course, it's cold, right, because it, it's, as soon as you turn that stove off, the temperature comes down. It was perfect. I got to admit, you, you know, you just kind of light, lightly turn it with a fork. There was no extra moisture in there. If I had one little gripe, it might have been a hair dry, uh, but... You know, that's going to vary from stove to stove, right? You could adjust the temperature. You could add a little more, a little less water. But if anything, I thought it was a little more flavorful. And go figure, you know, when you boil it and you dump off that excess water, there's a lot of flavor that goes with that. So, anyway, little wild rice trick. And, by the way, with the holidays coming up, it struck me as uh, as good advice, uh, you know, because you're always competing for oven space, right? So you cook your wild rice the night before with that recipe, and that's done. And then uh, when my wife decides to uh, launch the turkey at O-Dark 30 on Thanksgiving morning, uh, I, I don't have to fight for uh, for oven space for my wild rice. So anyway, I'm going to probably print that in Outdoor News, too, if you didn't get all that. But it, I think it was a, a pretty simple recipe for everybody. Uh, I uh, was a Wednesday night. I got to a backcountry hunters and anglers pint night. There was one out here in Minnetonka. Really good little crowd. Uh, it, was, it was good catching up with uh, a lot of the folks that attended that. The DNR, uh, they did some dem- demonstrations. Kelly Straka, some folks from the U of M, I think vet school were there. Demonstrations talking about how to remove the lymph nodes from your deer to get it tested for CWD. And sometimes at some of these pint nights in outstate, uh, they'll uh, they'll bring in a deer, a deer head, and they'll actually demonstrate it. It was my understanding that the, the, the venue was kind of not maybe thrilled about a deer head uh, being brought in, and so I, I give the DNR credit. They've got a they they did a they created they used a three D printer to print out the head of a deer, uh, you know the, you could see the skeleton in it and everything, and then the lymph nodes. They, and they they made they made the lymph node the entire lymph system kind of a different color. So uh, they were kind of demonstrating using that to attendees at this pint night, and that was uh, that was time well spent. And I, uh, I tip my hat to the DNR to putting that together. I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't quote me on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if they have that 3D-printed head of that uh, of that deer down at another pint night that uh, BHA is doing. I believe it's Friday night down at Sylvan Brewing in Lanesboro. Uh, the uh, location is worth pointing out because that is, that's the community that is hosting the Governor's Deer Opener. 
this year. Uh, like the pheasant opener, like the fishing opener, that event tends to move around from place to place. And so uh, they've got a number of festivities, I think, going on, a number of events happening on Friday. And then it's my understanding Governor Walls is going out with some folks who I'm hearing have got a really good spot for him that he should get a deer on uh, on Friday morning, November or, I'm sorry, Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, don't hunt, don't hunt on Friday morning, folks. The conservation officers wouldn't like that. The uh, The deer opener is uh, a week from yesterday, the firearms opener, that is, Saturday, November 4th. So get out and enjoy it. Like I said, I'm going to be at the State Cross Country Meet, so I hope to have some results to share with listeners on that next Sunday. But I hope everybody gets out, has a great, and above all, safe firearms deer opener. Uh, there's lots of opportunity. It goes for a couple weeks in a good chunk of the state. I'm out. Rob Driesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.